0: Hi listeners, welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and then suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with people working in the grief field. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. Hi everyone. You might be having deja vu right now, because in 2015 we did another episode on grieving through the end of the year holidays, and at that point I had the same guest I have today.
1: Hi, Jana.
0: Hi, Rebecca. (laughs) Rebecca Hobbs-Lawrence is back. She is a mainstay on the Grief Out Loud show and we're super excited to have you back today. Thank you. I'm here. glad to be here. And in preparation of this show, Rebecca and I both listened to that past episode from 2015, so we're going to try really hard not to repeat ourselves, but we both were like, we kind of said everything already. So, I don't know, hopefully we'll come up with some new stuff today. New ideas, new ways to share it. We also want to start with no just noting that, you know, we're talking about the end of the year holidays. But just to acknowledge that not everyone out there celebrates or observes these holidays and that the things we're going to talk about, we have some activity ideas at the end of today's show. So, you know, take what's helpful and useful to your family and your family's culture and toss the rest aside. So Rebecca, we have kind of a new tradition here on Grief Out Loud where before we jump into all the stuff we're going to talk about. We like to start with something a little bit more personal. And I'm wondering, you know, knowing you and knowing that your dad died when you were 11, I'm. what do you remember about that first end
1: of the year holiday season that your family went through? Well, my dad died um, kind of midsummer. And so once we got right back into school, it feels like holidays hit pretty quickly. There was a lot of confusion for my myself and my brother, who was nine, around what that would look like. My mom was really struggling a lot. My mom actually came up with the idea of, I can't do this, let's get out of town. She picked the happiest place on earth, which I'd never been to. And so we went to Disneyland, we bought a station wagon and bought a little potted tree, packed the car, Drove south. We'd never been anywhere except, you know, farm country <laughs> of our relatives. This actually seemed really magical. We were all having a really difficult time. So we were all game for this. My grandparents met us in California. My uncle, who lived in Monterey, we picked up along the way. So I still had family around. We put up little tiny stockings we made in the hotel room. <laughs> We made pipe cleaner candy canes um, and put around the mirror. I still remember what they looked like around the mirror. My mom actually did her best at trying to have some kind of holiday feel for us, but in a place where we could fully escape. And I will admit, um, even looking back, I have really wonderful memories of that trip. It was fun. I had my family with me. I felt safe. And I got to experience something I had never experienced before. It was sad not to have my dad there, but it was really surreal being in a, in a place that i had never been. Um, it wasn't a place filled with tradition that you were there was, used yeah, to with your dad. No tradition. And it was fantasy. Disneyland is fantasy. So I felt like in a way I was living out this kind of dream. Some parts of it were really exciting, but it didn't feel real to me also. Of course, coming back from the holidays and and realizing, like, oh, that was Christmas, (laughs) was was a little challenging. So that first holiday without my father, actually, I think we did pretty well. It was the second holiday. That was going to be my next question. (laughs) What was the second one like? It was the second holiday, and we were home. The struggles my mom had with, you know, not being able to decorate the year before, I think I shared in the last podcast that our, our neighbor across the street was awesome and put the, the lights up before we went to Disneyland even. My mom still had all those same struggles. There was a lot of tears, a lot of crying on her part. My brother and I tiptoed around a lot, trying to make it okay for her and really feeling the weight of my father's absence at that holiday.
0: What were you needing mm-hmm.
1: I think I, you know, every family member needs something different. I think my brother would have loved still been an escape place. You know, I think he was really wanting that again to escape again. For me, I was really wanting tradition and finding ways that I felt like my dad was close by. And those traditions were meaningful to me the the stockings up the lights up my, i would help my dad put lights up around our house i love putting christmas lights up <laughs> still to this day and that was really important to me my dad was very playful you know christmas day having him to play with um that was the challenge for me that he wasn't there so and, and for my mom those traditions brought a lot of sadness you know, she would stay up Christmas Eve with my dad and, and wrap presents and put a special ornaments on the tree that were just theirs. So for her, that felt very alone. And so we all were still, you know, you think, you know, you get one year through and you're okay and you're really not. <laughs> and so that second year was much harder. And that's something we hear
0: so often from families that the second year of all of the major events and days can be really challenging.
1: Right. You know, it was wonderful to escape to fantasy land the first year, um, but you do have to come back to reality. Mm -hmm. And you you
0: hit upon what seems to be one of the biggest themes that comes up for folks around these end of year holidays and any other time when there's like a big event that is usually comes with tradition of some sort is that people do have really different needs and wants. Yes. how, How do we navigate that as a family?
1: Yeah. And I don't think we did it very well. You know, this was 40 years ago, um, actually, this winter, 40 years. And I think our culture, what people talked about was so vastly different. Um, Resources that people had were so different. People are listening to this podcast, you know, getting information and and feeling like they're understood and supported. That just wasn't available. And so we did do it uh, very differently for each of us. We weren't really good about communicating that. It was more of like guessing. And I think kids often, especially when there's a death, tend to start to anticipate what a parent might do. And so my brother and I did get pretty good at, at knowing, you know, for the holiday, what days would be harder for my mom. and And sometimes we'd be helpful. And other times we would just go to our rooms and close the door. It felt very isolating, though, for all of us, probably. I would choose to do it differently looking back you and your brother really
0: became sort of experts in your mom's emotional landscape and anticipating what her
1: needs were going to be what her needs were going to be and and sometimes it felt too big for us to manage we were children and so when it felt too big and overwhelming that's when we went to our rooms and closed the door so there was a lot of holiday parts that were still fun but then there were still a lot that were felt very lonely for all of us
0: in your work with grieving families, have you come across ways that they have figured out a different way of doing it?
1: They have. And I, I, I will say, I think in part of it, just them coming to the Dougie Center allows them to open up communication that I imagine not all families have. It, it's really wonderful to see them kind of come to the table and understand that they all need something different, And that they'll only know that if they talk to each other and not make assumptions. And so I think there's a a real level of respecting the differences and allowing each person to have their own unique needs. Um, And it doesn't mean that they can't fill them for each other, too. And sometimes we do need outside resources. But I think at least the communication and the conversation is there. For a lot of families um, so I think maybe in the way that in my family where it was the Christmas lights initially um, and our neighbor did that for us it wasn't something we talked about as a family like my mom didn't never said I can't do this it was too hard um, she she just postponed it over and over <laughs> and procrastinated to where um, I took care of myself and was like go to my neighbor and be like I need help and uh, he was a wonderful older man. It was like, sure. I <laughs> um, so Thinking about ways for families to maybe
0: get in front of that so it's not so much a guessing game or a having right. to just take care of your own needs. And maybe that looks like sitting down as a family and having a conversation. Or if talking, you know, sometimes talking is really hard, especially with your super close people. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a way of, you know, communicating these are the top two things that are really important to me about this season.
1: And I'd like to be able to do those. And then we can get creative about how we make that happen. Right. I mean, even like just note cards, handing out note cards to the family with a name on top, each person gets their note card. And like you said, this is the, this is the number one. Number two really need. I, I want for the holiday. Maybe there's another space there that's, I can't do this. This is too hard for me. So that there is still that clear communication, even if it's not verbal you know, a lot of our show focuses on families
0: who have had someone die. And so figuring out, like, who maybe will do the things that that person did and which of those traditions will keep and which will we mm-hmm. not keep. But you have a lot of experience working with families who are facing an advanced serious illness where someone in the family is probably going to die in the yes. next few months to a year. What, what do you think is
1: different or maybe the same about the holiday time? I think what's the same is still that expectation even our last group, which was you know right before Thanksgiving, which you know holiday momentum starts earlier and earlier every year. Um, families were talking about, you know, what are we going to do? Um, trying to make, especially if they feel like this could be the last holiday season, tr- trying to make that a perfect holiday. And I don't know what a perfect holiday looks like, and generally the families that I'm talking with don't know either, and so they're really struggling with. You know, what is that perfect holiday? What will be something that will be so memorable, so magical that it will make them all feel connected and, and that they can go on and move forward and, and look at this as like, this was a really wonderful last holiday celebration with that person. And I think that comes with a lot of expectation. And so there's a lot of hope, but there is also a lot of feelings of being overwhelmed, and unsure, and really, really stressed out, especially because caregivers, um, when there is an advanced serious illness, they are already overwhelmed. And so then trying to put this holiday expectation of greatness on top of them to make it perfect for themselves, their children, and the person who may be dying is a, a tall order, you can't do it without help, and a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. So I think the things we we're talking about—that clear communication and planning—is so important, and also a lot of patience and grace with themselves. Perfection is hard to achieve. So what are the things that are actually most meaningful? Maybe take the word perfection out of that. <laughs> I always try to tell them that: like, let's not think perfect; let's think meaningful. Mm. And
0: sometimes meaningful, it's very messy and not very Instagram worthy. Right. It's
1: messy and it's and it can be simple. It's not yeah, it's not something you put in your um you know, holiday letters to the family necessarily, you know. It doesn't have to be big. And usually it's interesting. Most families when they really look at it, it's not the big things. Yeah you know?
0: over and over again in group if we have the question of if you could have you know, one more day with the person who died, what would you do? And I would say 90% of the people answering that question say, just have an average day, just hang out, just talk. Yeah. It's not like take the most epic vacation ever or have the most perfect meal. It's, I just want to hang out and like watch
1: a movie and eat breakfast together. Right. Um, I think two things around the holiday season, one is it's not a day, it is a season. And to remember that you have a whole season to look at and to spend time with those people and that the gifts most often are the simple gifts from the heart. And you talk about, you know, that one last day of just talking with somebody, what are the things you want to say to somebody that are important that you're kind of waiting to say, um, or you're afraid to say, um, say them. And if there's something you need to hear, let somebody know. Um, those, those are the gifts that we keep with us. Those are the words that we hold on to as we move through our lives um, that come back and often give us encouragement and strength at other times in our lives that it might be challenging for us. Not, It's not so much about the what you do, but more around the what you can share. So I'm also aware that,
0: you know, you and I can sit here and talk about this, like ideas we have about <laughs> clear communication and think about meaningfulness. And then right. there may be grieving families out there listening, saying, Okay, but like what, like how? What's the what practical do do part that? of that? Yeah, <laughs> so I'm wondering if we should talk a little bit about some of the activities that we've seen families yes. use around this time. And and the first one that comes to my mind is thinking about food. Because it seems like no matter what you celebrate or don't celebrate or observe or don't observe, food is going to be a part of your day-to-day life. Yes. With, uh, probably with the person who died or someone who has an illness. So of the activities we've been talking about with our kids is you know, just imagine you are the chef for the day.
1: Love you love that
0: cook. It's fine. <laughs> you don't actually have to be a good cook. No. If and what menu would you create to make a meal that would somehow be in honor of or in connection to the person who died? Yes. And if you have really young kids out there and maybe their parent or their caregiver or their sibling died when they were really young, they're probably gonna need some help with this. And there's a way to to open up that activity to folks in that situation by saying, what are the foods that you really love that you want to share with the person who died?
1: Yes. And I mean, food is so connecting and I love that and taking it maybe one step further and having the meal, but maybe even writing down the recipes, creating a small little, you know, recipe book that's maybe there's one that's just for holidays. Even our favorite holiday recipes that we share together talk about a meaningful, you know, gift that you get to hold on to. Um, So you're sharing the food and maybe you take pictures of your meal. How awesome to share, to create a meal and everyone cooks. You have your cooks for the day and then you're sitting down and giving kids cameras or, you know, cell phones now, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm, I'm aging myself. And to be able to take pictures and I think those are those legacy gifts whether it's before or after a death that we can hold on to and that food continues to connect us year after year after year and also to
0: give kids total permission that if there was a particular food that the person who died always made around the holidays that those kids don't like that food they can have a new tradition about not making the food right right So that's one of the activities is to be a chef for the day. And maybe you make the meal, but maybe you just do an activity where you list all those foods and then you draw pictures of it with younger kids. So it's not a lot of pressure if you're a family where maybe you don't have the resources to go out and buy all of these ingredients or make a big meal. But sometimes just having those conversations and creating those memories in our
1: our mind's eye can be really helpful. Yeah, and for kids, yeah, at least drawing the picture, creating a plate and what's the food on the plate, that can be a lot of fun. You have a new activity that you are thinking about doing with your own family this year. I am, and we call it a, either a memory tree or memory cards, and I'm going to do that this year in my family. I do have a person I'm very close to in my family that has an illness, and so wanting to connect to and and keep memories. I'm going to give all our family members a little note card, and on that I'm going to ask them to write their favorite holiday memory. Put their name and age on the back because we have everybody from little tiny tots to elderly in our family. Mm -hmm. And just having, being able to create that space where they can, one, connect with a moment in time that was really happy for them and be able to share that with all of us. And we document um, for the future too, those, those memories that we have shared together, those events um, and occasions that have been meaningful. And it's not always about like the day itself, like Christmas Day or a specific holiday. Um, like I said, it's a season, so there's many times we're together. So I want to create something that really documents the entire season for us as a family with our own memories and maybe add to it. Um, I'm going to put mine on a little tree, not a, not a Christmas tree, but a branch from our yard mm-hmm. and hang them. I can leave it up past the holidays you know, just have like birds and stars on hanging from it, their note cards, be able to look at it and, and talk about it. And like some maybe I think we'll add to it too. I think it'll be a tradition of addition, the tree growing. Yeah. And to think about how the favorites might shift
0: for a kiddo who's six and then when they're 18, what that sounds like for them. Right.
1: Do they still want to be around us?
0: <laughs> I think it's also really important to note that for some families, there can be this grief around the fact that they're thinking there should be really good holiday memories. And for some Mm -hmm. families, the holidays can be a time of a lot of tension and pain, a lot of pain, a lot of, there can be violence, there can Mm -hmm. be all kinds of really tough things that happen around the holidays. And there may be some really painful memories for folks with the person who died or the person who is ill. So given that for some families, maybe the activity is more about dreaming up what types of traditions and memories you would like to start creating. What would it be mm-hmm. like if we had a peaceful time in our house around the holidays? Mm-hmm. What are some things we can do to acknowledge and repair what
1: has happened? But moving forward, mm-hmm. what would we like it to look like? So more of a tree of hope. Yes, you're right. Not everybody comes from a place of safety and stability. And so to be able to create something that feels more hopeful moving forward. And whether that's a hope for maybe the following year or this year, but like this is what I'd like to do now. Or maybe a even for kids, when I grow up, Mm. even with my own family, um, what are the things that would be important to me to share with them? And just thinking forward, whether it's a year forward or 10 years forward. Yeah, which can be super hard to do when you're in the midst
0: of grief, of being able to think forward at all, because right now, right here, this is happening and it's so painful. Yes. The third activity that we have done with some of our families and have talked about is, uh, we call it the gift list activity, which is hard to say gift list activity. <laughs> and this is a way for families to, you know, just reflect on what are the gifts that they may have received from the person who died or the person who has an illness. And by gift, we don't mean it doesn't have to be like a tangible thing. Maybe it is, maybe it's right. like I got a skateboard or I got this super cool stuffed animal. But maybe it's more a life lesson that I received from the person who mm-hmm. died. Or maybe it was a characteristic, like I inherited my dad's totally curly hair or I have my right. mom's green eyes. So letting kids get really creative about that, um, recognizing that for some families, if the holidays were a time of really financial stress, mm-hmm. gifts like physical gifts may not be something that they have a lot of connection with. So you can invite kids and adults, everyone in the family to
1: create the list of gifts that they received from the person. Yes. I love that. And those can blend over too. I was thinking about for myself um, with my dad that I would wanna write down an occasion, which was him taking me fishing, but during that he always he taught me about patience and being present just the gift of uh, skills that I needed to even catch a fish. So, I mean, that kind of incorporated so many of those things as something as simple as, you know, a day out fishing with my dad actually provided so many gifts.
0: And it can be a really helpful way to build that ongoing relationship with somebody who has died. You know, I think about younger kids. If the person dies, they don't have a whole bunch of memories, Mm -hmm. and there may be things that they forget as they grow up. And so if we can document them when they're younger, this gives them something to go back and look at when they're feeling maybe a disconnection from that person. Yes. And it can be really important with this activity. Maybe it's not something your family sits down and does together. Maybe it's something that happens privately, but you just provide kids that opportunity because kids of all ages and particularly teenagers may have some things they want to keep private and they don't want you to know the gifts that they got from the person who died. So maybe providing them each with a journal or index cards again, or some way right. and letting them know this isn't something they have to share with the family.
1: Yes. I also love with that whole list idea too, of being able to create a little box for each person in the family, writing down on a piece of paper, note card, A gift from that person. Um, And I actually, this is something I encourage with our Pathways families who are living with an advanced serious illness, um, because that pressure sometimes shuts down communication because it becomes all about the illness Mm. and doctor's appointments and treatments to take that time in their own time, give them a week, you know, say, here are your note cards. And when you fill them in, put them in the box that belongs to the person so that a daughter can write down for her sibling, her her parents, you know, something she got from each one of them and put it in their holiday box. And then it's something that after the holidays they can open either together or in private. Sometimes being, you know, private is, is more important to us and we can read those comments that our family have shared about us. Oh, I love it! It's like a appreciation box or a thank you box. Yeah, and it doesn't cost any money. It doesn't cost any money, and it's a gift that keeps on giving. Because, you know what? I, I would—that's a box I would take out all year long. <laughs> yes, dear friends and family, I would like a very big box filled with tons of appreciation. No, <laughs> <laughs> and would, you know, I can only imagine what my family would share about me. Probably my laughter <laughs> or something like that. I think it's something that again helps buoy our spirits up when we are maybe down, but also provides that continued connection when grief, either before or after a death, um, can um, feel isolating to us. Well, Rebecca,
0: I really appreciate you coming on the show again and sharing some personal stories and some really helpful suggestions and tips for families who are grieving during this holiday
1: season. Thank you, Jana, and I hope all the families that are listening here find something meaningful this holiday season for them. And listeners out there, I
0: will, uh, I'll repost our original episode and the show notes for this one. So you can check that one out too, because we shared a whole lot in that one as well that we didn't want to go over again this time. And we'll also, I'll also link, we have a few of those activities that are in like downloadable worksheet form. So I'll link to those as well. So you can, but you can make them however you want to. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to find any of our other past episodes, you can find them at dougy.org or any other place you get your podcasts. And we are coming up super close on episode 100, which will be a thank you to all of you who have been part of our listening audience. We're so grateful for each of you. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.